are listening to Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, time for another edition of Holden Court, everyone. Patrick McEnroe here, and what a pleasure it is to have this man on, Michael Imperioli. Of course, you know him from The Sopranos for so many years. Uh, he started his own podcast as well. Around about the same time I did, I was in my basement where I still am during uh, the beginning of the pandemic when I got COVID, and you started it, Michael, uh, around the same time. I know it was something that you were thinking about doing for a while, but uh, we, we all had to find different things to do when this pandemic hit. I know you've done a lot of things since it hit, but uh, Talking Sopranos has obviously become hugely popular, hugely successful. And when it hit, you, you was it always Steve Schrepper you were going to do it with? Yeah, we actually, um, in the fall of 2019, we had three offers, mm-hmm. really. Because uh, we, Steve and I had done like this in conversation, kind of like inside the actor's studio, like on stage. Uh, usually the two of us and Vincent Pastor, we've done it all over the country. And, and in 2019, early 2019, we went to Australia and did a bunch of cities. So you we were basically, to go- you basically took it on the road because I read you were about to take it. You're you going to do a bunch more countries in, in, in 2020, right? Supposed to. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we were going to go to UK and Ireland. We had 17 mm-hmm. dates got canceled. So people knew we were doing that. So some people approached us, Hey, do you want to do a podcast? And we were like, you know, I don't know. We, we weren't really thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what to be. And one of the producers was someone we knew and said, you know, you can do it independently. Right. Basically meaning you can do whatever you want. If it's independently and you own it, and you're working for yourself, you can do whatever you want. And we like that idea. So, the plan was to do record, start recording at the end of March 2020 in a studio in the East Village together. Mm-hmm. And we put out a press release right at the beginning of March saying that this was going to happen. Right. Middle of March, I'm in California and I'm about to come back to New York and everything, the whole world shut down. Mm-hmm. So we were like, all right, you know what, forget this. You know, let's put this on the shelf. Who needs a podcast? You know, with all this stuff, you know, because right. when COVID hit, and I was sick, I had it. In mm-hmm. March. I was sick when this happened. So you and I, COVID. you and I got it right around the same time early. And you got it while you were in California, because I was here in New York. I got it in New York. I oh, brought it from California. I got it at the end of February in New York. At least that's what the doctor thinks. Mm-hmm. So, but we were very depressed. It was hard, you know, in the beginning. Nobody knew what the hell this was. What was going to happen? You know, people were very sick. People were dying. So we were like, forget it. And then because the fans had heard, now everybody's in quarantine. People are watching The Sopranos. And they heard about this press, you know, that the podcast was coming because the press announced it. And they're like, where's this podcast? We're all binge watching The Sopranos. (laughs) We want the podcast. And like a lot of people on social media reached out, stuff like that. So our producer said, well, you know, there's this thing called Zoom which I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. And there's a way of actually doing it. So we were like, all right. So he, Steve's in his house. I'm in my house. The producer's in his house. And we started doing it. Um, 
And it turned out a lot of people at the time were binge watching the show again because they were home, not working or whatever. And, um, you know, it took off from there. Well, I got to tell you, I, I just actually listened to your latest one. We're, we're recording this, by the way, in, in end of March 2021. Well, I'll release this as part of my season two, Michael, which is going to be released in uh, late April. You'll be at the top of the agenda. And again, thanks for doing this. But, uh, um, you know, when when this when this happened, actually, so what I was saying, I was listening to the your, your most recent one with Frankie Valley, which was tremendous uh, to hear yeah. from him and. And, and so any fans of The Sopranos got to listen to to Michael's podcast because they go, they go through every episode. But that's really not – I mean, of course, I wanted to have you on because of that, Michael, but I really want to ask you about you because I'm interested in all the other things you've done. You're, you've been a, you're a working actor for a long time. You're into jazz. You're into Buddhism. You're into meditation. You're into music. Um, and, and then as I w- was researching you, I knew you were a New Yorker through and through. I, I didn't realize you actually grew up in Mount Vernon, which is a town over from where I live now. I grew up in Queens, but now I live up here in Bronxville, so I know Mount Vernon well. Uh, but it, tell me about how it started for you. I know both your parents were into acting a bit on the side. What, what got you into it, and what, what age were you, and how did it happen? You know, um, my dad did some community theater when I was in high school, mm-hmm. which he was a bus driver in the Bronx for mm-hmm. the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was kind of really out of left field because he had never done it. He just decided he wanted, you know, which I thought now in hindsight, see how courageous that is. Sure. Um, and, uh, but he always turned me on to like really good movies as a kid. Um, you know, all those great classic 70s movies. And uh, I remember he took me to see Apocalypse Now when it came out to theaters when I was 11. And, and so I had a love for it, but, you know, my dad did community theater in New York, you know, upstate New York, you know, so it wasn't like uh, I knew the business at all. So I, I never really thought about it as something you could do, as, you know. And then right when I finished high school, it was like, all right, what am I, you know, when you have to kind of declare your major, which is basically saying what you're going to do for the rest of your life, right? right? <laughs> In some way. <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't know what the hell I want right. to do. And I, was, I decided to go to acting school in the city, uh, Lee Strasberg Institute, you know, kind of instead of going to college. Um, that's real. I started reading a lot of plays mm-hmm. the last year of high school. And the library in my high school had, had a lot of uh, like Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller, Edward Albee, all that stuff. And I started reading a lot of it. And that really made a big difference, you know? So, and then I started going to acting school and kind of took off from there, you know? Um, well, my career didn't take off from there, but my, you know, my life in this world. did. And what was your first job you ever got actually paying job as an actor? The first paying job. Well, the first professional job was mm-hmm. an off Broadway play. I guess they paid us, but it was very, very minimal, but it, Got a lot of attention because it was um, it was based on a true story. Uh, this is 1987, and I was the lead in the play. I'd been trying to get a job for years, mm-hmm. you know, like five years, and I got the lead in the play, and I got fired uh, after opening weekend. Um, wow! Actually, the writer of the play went on to win an Academy Award years later for the movie Crash, Bobby mm-hmm. Moresco. He, mm-hmm. This was a play that he wrote. Um, 
because I had really only, I had never worked. I had never, I had only acted in class mm-hmm. for four years. So I didn't know how to take direction. And I didn't really understand the whole, what it meant to be on stage doing a play. I only worked on real technique as an actor, which was very different. So it was, it was kind of a rude awakening and very devastating. Um, so you're in your early, early 20s at that point, right? 21, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you pick yourself up and you go on. And then a year later, I got a line in a movie. Mm. Uh, a big, it was a big Hollywood movie that they were shooting in New Jersey called Lean On Me that Morgan Freeman starred in. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, directed by John Alvidson, who did Rocky. And actually, the first, I got cast. As kind of as an extra role, but but it was I passed a gun to someone. So if you're doing something like that and, and it's part of the story, it's called a silent bit as mm-hmm. an extra. So it's a little you get paid more as an extra. But I would get my SAG card, so I agreed to it. When I was out there, they said, "Oh, we we got a a, a character that has a line, and we need a kid for that." And they had me audition for that, and I got this line in the movie. But I now I'd never been in front of a camera before. So I'm terrified. Mm. The director was kind of a nasty guy who was, well, he was nasty that day. I think he was a little overwhelmed with like a thousand high school kids in the auditorium and had no patience. And I didn't know where to look. I mean, there's this giant, this is before video, this giant Panavision camera. I didn't know where to look or what to, how to do this. I mean, I had no film technique mm-hmm. and terrible. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> We did the take, and I figured uh, I was so nervous. I, I said, "Well, maybe just mumble it, and they won't notice you." And he's like, "If you don't give me something with that line, you're out of here." You know, he had no patience, and I was just horrified. They cut the line is not in the movie, but I am in the movie, so you could see me in that. And that was my first. Uh, that's how I got my second, my first movie role. We could so see you. Sh- you could you could see yourself shitting in the pa- in your pants, right? When you look back on it. Unbelievable. Um, you could see me. <laughs> By then, I didn't have to do the line. The stuff that remained is not me doing the line, so it's a little bit. I wasn't as uptight, I guess. But uh, being right, it was more of a group shot that remained in the movie. But that kind of close shot with that giant camera right in front mm. of you, I just. Kind of, so most of your and then most of your most of your early jobs after that were mostly uh, in the theater, right? In New York theater, and and then theater, and then independent independent movies. movies, yeah. And then there, was was your big break considered to be when you got the role in Goodfellas? Was that sort of your first big time? Like, okay, I got you know, I got that was it. the first movie I did. Uh, so I did Lean on Me, then okay. I did two, and then I got Goodfellas, and uh, it wasn't. I mean, for me, it was huge because it was I'm working with my heroes, you know, like De Niro and Scorsese. Um, Joe Pesci. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know much about Joe Pesci mm-hmm. then, but De Niro was, you know, I mean, Joe Pesci wasn't a big star then, but De Niro certainly. You was. found out when he shot you in the foot, right in that scene. Yeah, he was. He, he was really <laughs> great in the scene, yeah. but um, that was a big thing, just because everybody saw that movie. So it's you know something at least when you go for an audition or meet an agent, you could say, "I'm in the movie. This is what I did." People saw that movie, so that that allowed you to get work but through the 90s I, I mostly made my living doing um independent movies because uh that's most of the work i got i mean i did a lot of theater but that didn't really pay much for theater that i did 
and mostly off off Broadway and off Broadway. Now, now before before I ask you about, I mean, I've heard I've heard you in, in numerous interviews because everybody obviously everyone asks you about how you got the role in The Sopranos. So I, I I know about that. I know people that know you obviously know about it, but uh, you knew some of the casting people, and they brought you in for a lot of other things, as, as you've said. So um, that process was obviously you, you've gone through that a lot. This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. I'm a little more interested in your writing because I know you just landed something pretty significant with HBO. And I know you've always, you know, had that itch to, to write, to direct. You directed quite a few of the Sopranos episodes. Did you write a few of them as well? Or you just I directed didn't direct them. I wrote, you wrote, I wrote five. You wrote five. So, Sorry. Okay. So, so when did that start for you? The, the, the desire to, to write more and to sort of take charge of your own destiny, I guess is for lack of a better term. Well, right. Um, from, you know, right when I started really uh, doing theater, a bunch of us from my acting class, this is in my early 20s, formed our own company. So I started producing some off-Broadway theater mm-hmm. when I was early 20s and then started directing plays right after and writing as well. But I didn't finish anything as a writer until I was 30 mm-hmm. or 31 and, and uh, when I, uh, I wrote uh, Summer Sam for Spike Lee with a friend of mine. Victor Calicho, we, we collaborated on that script and Spike directed it. Um, that was the first thing that ever got produced. Uh, but I had been writing, I had a stack of stuff that I had written that I would take. I, I used to move every year in my 20s. You know, mm-hmm. you move from a apartment, I'd take this stack that kept growing every year of garbage, basically. Half, half a screenplay and a quarter of a novel and part mm-hmm. of a one-act play. And one day I threw it all away because I thought it was all garbage. And I was like, you know, you don't have anything to say. That's mm. why you can't finish anything. And then Summer of Sam, that thing started to happen. And I realized, okay, this is what we could say through this. And then through Summer of Sam, I got The Sopranos happened right around the same time. And I wrote a spec script. Uh, after we shot the first scene of The Sopranos, I wrote a spec script for The Sopranos and gave it to David. Most of which we used for the first episode I wrote. But... If you were a writer uh, of an episode, you were also a producer on set mm-hmm. and you work closely with the director, you know, um, kind of interpreting the script and, and bringing the script to life. So that, that, that was, that was a big, uh, 
a big thing as well. You know, a really big experience working with the directors on that as a writer. And then, um, uh, you know, I wrote and directed an indie called The Hungry Ghost that came out in 2009. And, um, you know, writing's a, just another form of expression that I like. Well, obviously, you know, I mean, you may have thrown all that stuff out, but don't they say to be a great writer, you got to write consistently? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a muscle, right? You got to do it a lot. You do it a lot and you get better yeah. as you go, of course. Yeah. And it's something that I think also grows as you grow as a human being, you know? And, and is that, as, as, that, as, as you, as you've grown and because we're, we're at the same age, I think you just turned 55. I'll turn 55 later this year. And you, we both uh, married, have yeah. kids and, but you know, the different things you've gotten into, I mean, Buddhism is something, and I know you do meditations on your Instagram now. Um, mm-hmm. What, how, how do you kind of, it just always seems like from reading about you and your history, you're always kind of looking for something new. You know, you're doing something else. You're, you're playing music. You're, do, you're re- releasing a record. So yeah. what is it about you that makes you continue to just want to create different stuff? Not the same things, different stuff. Oh, I mean, I started playing music around the same time I started acting. You know, I was playing in, you know, I played in my first band when I was uh, 19 uh, here in the Lower East Side in New York and uh, the post-punk scene and, and then was in and out of a couple of bands then and then didn't play for a while and started again. So, it, uh, you know, like writing, directing, producing, and music, those are things I, I really started doing not long after I started studying acting. So there, you know, and, and the scene that I came out of in the early 80s in New York, especially in, the, in East Village and downtown, a lot of artists were doing lots of different things. You know, that, it was just the nature of the scene, the performance art scene and the punk rock scene and the off-off-Broadway theater and experimental theater and independent film. A lot of those things kind of cross-pollinate. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, okay, now I'm successful as an actor, now I want to try music. It, it really, all those things started at the beginning. You know, it's just mm. people weren't really aware of it and I didn't, you know, I had more success as an actor. Right. Uh, you know, uh, than anything. So that's what you get known as. But I just need, I just like to be creative, you know, and I like to have, preferably having a lot of freedom to be creative, which I, you don't always get as an actor or, or, or as anything. You have to kind of find ways of having as much freedom as possible. My wife and I, um, in 2003, we built a theater and produced mm-hmm. plays, only new plays off Broadway. And uh, it was kind of the inmates running the asylum for a while. And it was great you know, because we, we worked with people, a lot of people that we had worked with before, but a lot of new people that we didn't know. And, you know, it was exciting f- finding these new plays and, and, and casting it, and getting the right people to, to, to do it. But um, I like the collaborative aspect of all that stuff and working with creative people. And, um, you know, I mean, that's just part of my thing. I, I like being creative. I like performing and I like, you know, um, I guess it's what I do. Yeah. Do you you find you, you think you found the balance between being that, you know, superstar on the Sopranos, you know, one of the biggest shows in the history of television and then also being like, okay, like people know me as that guy, but I'm also trying to do, it's sort of like, 
I feel like I can relate a little bit. It's like me in, in my world of tennis, you know, and being John McEnroe's little brother, you know, and, and having that sort of follow me everywhere I've gone. I, I remember it was actually, believe it or not, a Hollywood manager once said to me who was representing my wife at the time, who's a singer and an actress. And I remember saying to him, you know, I really want to do some other stuff. And I just, I don't want to just do tennis because, you know, tennis is great, but I want to try. This was like in my early thirties. And he said to me, uh, don't, it, don't, don't, don't forget where your bread is buttered. You know what I mean? You know, meaning like, so I've, I've sort of found a way to stay always involved in tennis. That's been my thing, but also try to find other outlets. And I, I, I can imagine for you, you know, especially once the Sopranos got huge and you got huge to be like, okay, use that to my advantage, which you're obviously doing now with the, with the podcast and with all the other things, but still like want to do something new and do something different and not just be that guy. You know, um, the thing that I, uh, that I always, that helps me is that I'm, uh, I have no problem going to do, if I'll do go do a play for no money, I've done a friend's movie that was ultra low budget. This is after Sopranos and mm -hmm. stuff like that. If really I'm into it and I want right. to do it rather than just saying, I have to take this next job because it's a bigger role. And it's going to be more exposure and it's going to win mm -hmm. an award and it's going to make more money. I mean, if you, if you kind of get stuck in trying to top yourself that way all the time, I think it's toast. You know, I think you just have to be able to, obviously you want to make a living and, 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 you know, and, and earn money and, and do things, but not every job, you know, I think is going to, can be about that uh, unless, and, and for me at least, and still be, give me the creative, you know, juice that I want, you know, What's the, so what, we'll what's go the, back and forth. Yeah, what's the project that you got now? Because as I, I I saw you just agreed to it with HBO. Talk talk to me a little bit about that project because it sounds pretty cool. Um, I can't really talk a lot about it, okay. but it's basically you know I came up with this idea, this kind of crazy idea during COVID, uh, during quarantine, and I gave you know and I I, I you know jotted it down and pitched it to my manager, who said mm -hmm. you know this is. I thought it was kind of kooky and I wasn't going to tell anybody about it. Then one day I, I was like, yeah, let me just send it to her. I wrote, I wrote like three pages of the treatment. Right. She said, let's get some meetings. I think this might be something. And then I met a guy named Alec Berg, who's the mm -hmm. showrunner for Barry and also wrote for Seinfeld and Kirby Enthusiasm and some great, you know, done some just tremendous work and the stuff he does on Barry is really great. And we met and I pitched it to him. He said, this is really cool let's bring it to HBO because he, you know, he works a lot with them and uh, they heard it and really liked it. So now we're writing it and it's a, it's a half hour show that I'll star in and I'll write and produce. And I play a version of myself. Using my name. <laughs> right. Cool. It, it is, it definitely influenced by my uh, experiences and interest in Buddhism. And that's all I can say about it. But I'm really excited. It's a new, it would be a New York show. Right mm -hmm. now we're writing the, the pilot. So hopefully we'll be shooting the pilot sooner than later. And right. hopefully get a season of it. But it's um, I, I, something I'm really excited about. I really want to do a show in New York again. And, uh, you know, so far so good. It's yeah, weren't you, weren't you living in California for a while? I moved my family mm -hmm. out to San Barbara, California, in 2012. Okay. Basically, to live in a small town uh, with good weather and just <laughs> right. be, be kind of just us 
there and have yep. a lot of family time and not be pulled in 20 different directions. And we did that until my youngest went off to college and then my wife and I were like, and, but I was always back in New York. My family was here and I worked a lot here, so I never really left. And then mm-hmm. now after our youngest um, went off to college and it was empty nest, we, we moved, uh, we, we left, we sold our house in California and moved back to New York. Yeah, my, I think my wife and I did the same thing, but we went to Bronxville about 13 miles away instead of to Santa Barbara. By the way, I went to, I went to college in California at Stanford. So I played tennis out there, and we, we went uh, to Santa yeah. Barbara. It's awesome. It's a beautiful spot. So That's before, great. A lot of California is great. And it was, a yeah. good, it was a, at the time, it was a good thing we did. And then, you know, it was kind of mission accomplished, and we were like, okay, let's go back home, well, <laughs> which yeah, is where we are. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a New Yorker through and through. Um, yeah. So yeah. D- before I let you go, and I, again, appreciate so much you giving me this time to do this, and you got 15 million things going on. Uh, Buddhism, how did, I mean, for you, how did that start? What was that about for you? You know, I kind of became a bit of a, actually, my wife and I were both like spiritual seekers at some point in our life. You know, um, and, you know, in our thirties after the Sopranos hit, and, mm-hmm. you know, made some money and, you know, things, you know, some notoriety and some, you know, doing good work and had started having kids yet. There was still a lot of, a lot of things that needed attention, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of bad habits and, you know, um, uh, and I, I, I was into, I, I explored a lot of different spiritual paths mm-hmm. until I kind of on Buddhism and that one stuck because I, what I like about it is it's a more much more than it is a religion to me is a, a science and a way of dealing with your own mind mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I just started going to teachings in New York and um, it kind of stuck I kind of took to it you know and um, that was 14 years ago wow um, and uh, you know I started on Instagram about a year and a half ago and I post stuff about Buddhism and a lot of people were asking me about meditation and, and asking how to meditate. Mm-hmm. People would write their, write me requests for meditation instruction. I started writing back and then it happened a lot. So I was like, maybe I should like do like a video just to give people instruction and it turned into this live weekly class right. that started meditation. Now it's a little bit about Buddhism. I don't know, I guess. Uh, a bunch of students all over the world that meet once a week live on uh, Zoom, um, people in different countries from different religions meditating together. And That's talking cool. About Buddhism. So, kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really cool. You, you've done a lot of things in this last uh, year and change during this yeah. pandemic. Yeah. It's amazing. Adapting. What it's about adapting. you? What do you do? To, what do you do to stay in shape? I know you got into uh, martial arts at one at one point. You still do that? Still what else? Do martial what else do you do? Arts. Any tennis? I still do martial arts. I I'm, I love tennis, watching mm-hmm. it, but I've never played. But uh, our mutual friend has kind of our yeah. friend Greg Williamson has kind of inspired me to maybe. Yeah, Greg and Greg and I go, going at, going at it about once a week, and then you guys got together because he's also in the music world, and uh, so he connected yeah. the two of us, which was awesome for him to, him to do that. But he should come out one time during one of his lessons. Come out, and well, uh, you know, many people I've interviewed a lot of people for this podcast, singers, actors, and so on, that um, find tennis to be a little sort of meditative. You know, once you get into it, and there's sort of a zen to it, and. Uh, 
So we'll 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 start slow with you, Michael, because um, you know, not e- not easy to pick up tennis in your mid fifties as we both are. But I think you'll enjoy it. Sounds good. All right, I look forward to that. And thank uh, you. Keep up the good work. Thanks again for doing this. Talking Sopranos is the podcast. Michael Imperioli, thank you for giving me a few moments here on Holding Court. All the best to you, my man. Thanks for having me. You got Take it. Care, Anytime. Man. Take care. Bye bye. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.